Welcome back to the Childhood Cancer Perspective. I want to thank you all so much for sticking with me through these last 11 episodes, and I hope you enjoyed last week's episode where I was able to get my wife on board to speak about how we made marriage work in a childhood cancer community uh, percentage of failure of 80%, and we managed to be part of that 20, and I hope it gave you some insight into how we um, live and how our marriage became stronger and how our family became stronger through this diagnosis, and I hope it gives you a little insight on how maybe you can do the same thing and be part of that 20% and turn that statistic around. Um, This week, I do have a topic that is very hard-hitting and something that is very close to home right now and definitely something that is triggering to us, but it needs to be spoken about. It's an inside view of when my wife and I knew and when our family knew that it was time to let go, that it was time to put Jace in God's hands and give her a chance at a whole um, life again in heaven. Throughout her treatments, throughout her diagnosis, it was always thought of and always pushed and always fought for that she was going to be part of that very small group and percentage of children with her diagnosis that was going to make it and was going to beat it. And we never once looked forward to making a decision that would no longer have us with JC here on earth with us. But it's something that we had to come to terms with at a certain point in her treatment that the best place for her was in heaven and not suffering here on earth anymore. So in the very beginning, JC was diagnosed in January of 2020. And through her 12-day initial stay in the hospital, She had three brain surgeries, and on that last day, she physically, on her own power, walked out of the hospital. We thought, she's done it. She has become after after we got the diagnosis. You know, we definitely were in in the Google, in the WebMD, all this, looking all over, trying to find answers about it. And the outlook for this type of cancer, choroid plexus carcinoma, was not good. And so, when she walked out of that hospital, and she had a total resection of her tumor. All of her symptoms seemed to go away, and she was just ready to take on the world. We thought, damn it, she's she's beat this thing. She is part of that small percentage. She's going to have very few side effects. They barely cut any of her hair. She She's going to be the one. And everything after we left the hospital was good. We actually, you know, we she did her... Um, she did her radiation treatments and then after the end of radiation, it was kind of put on to us that she was not going to need chemo because she was reacting so well to the radiation. There were no signs of cancer cells. There were no side effects. Everything looked great. And so we went along with that. We, we, we said no to chemo. We just lived our lives. And from May of that year until September 10th, she was good. Everything was great. She was living her life. She was she was playing with her sister. She was playing with the neighbor. She was doing her online schooling because if you don't remember, at that point in time, we were in kind of COVID shutdown. But we were just living our lives and everything seemed to be great. We, we were seeing other kids that were going through this that weren't doing so well. And we thought, wow, for some reason, we we got chosen for her to beat this cancer. On September 11th, she um, officially relapsed, 
and I will go into the treatments and her the dates of a relapse and, and everything like that in another episode and detail it a lot more. But for the terms of this episode, I'll say that she relapsed on September 11th. Within a month, we were in chemo, and she went through five rounds. And again, the chemo was extremely hard on her, extremely hard on her body. Um, definitely was something that we had hoped to avoid, and we hoped that we were going to after the initial diet, after the initial um, talking to the doctors after her radiation treatment was over. But unfortunately, she ended up having to go through this, and it was very hard on her. And her body reacted. And she developed she developed palsy on one side of her face, so it, when her mouth didn't move, and it was it was very difficult for her. But she always was in good spirits, always in high spirits. And so we always thought, you know what? She's going to get through this. It's going to, she, you know, she lost a lot of weight. She gained a lot of weight. She was in the hospital in chemo, still doing school, interacting with the child life department. She would come home. She would still play with her sisters. Um, she was, she was still being a kid and things were still going well. But the chemo side effects were really starting to get to her and the nausea and the loss of appetite and things like that really changed her in the sense that she couldn't just be who she wanted to be. But all in all, she was still making it through. She was still getting up every day and still being that kid that we knew, that that, that bright, shiny light that no matter what was thrown at her, she was going to beat it. So we kept a lot of that hope and faith and never did we ever believe in a million years that, you know, a year later that we would be saying goodbye to her. And we we just kept going with life um, the best the way that we knew how during, again, or during the, the COVID times, which were really hard for her and everybody. I mean, they she wasn't able to go to school um, she wasn't able to really do anything, and that was that was hard on her, much like it was hard on the rest of the world. But for her, it was like a double whammy. You know, she number one, it wasn't safe for her to be outside because of you know her low immune system. But then it it was even less safe for even people to be around her because of COVID running around. So we did the best we could to kind of keep her spirits up and keep her faith up and keep her happy, healthy, and and a lot of hope um, and a lot of encouragement that things were going to work out and things were going to be okay. And it came time for a lot of the treatments to, or her main treatments to end and then the talking about doing stem cells. Now going in to get her stem cells, you know, extracted and harvested, and then doing the the pre-testing for all of that, she was actually in really good spirits. And we would travel to Milwaukee, and her sister would come with us, and she was in she was in really good spirits through all of this. And even though at that point she was in a wheelchair for a lot of the time because of her lack of mobility, you know, the chemo. I'm telling you, it just it just beat her up. That she you know, she was in that wheelchair for that reason. But we did all the pre-testing for all, you know, for the stem cells. She went there, had the stem cells extracted. Everything was really well. And then we set up the time that we were supposed to go. Uh, We had a date set to go into the hospital in Milwaukee. And that was going to be, it was going to be a couple of months that we were going to be there. Had it all set and everything was ready to go. And then she started to get really sick. And 
we thought it was something that they could fix. We thought it was low blood sugar. And we had her in and out of the hospital on her birthday, trying to get her tested to see what was going on. They thought they had it figured out. And then it just kind of went downhill from there. So we ended up going in for her stem cells early and getting in to get her treated, to get her back up and healthy before she could start the procedure. So we went in at the end of the week. We ended up there through the weekend, just kind of getting her ready to go. And then on that Monday, um, when we were there, they, you know, they started the high dose, the high dose chemo was extremely, she had 15 rounds of that and it was extremely hard on her. And she still kept a smile on her face and she still pushed through and, and tried to interact and tried to be, you know, who she could be with as much as she had. And it, it took a lot out of her. The energy was gone. Um, but she was still JC and she was still goofy with me and she was still sassy with me. And, you know, we still, you know, kind of became this best friend bond that I really didn't see happening, um, in a way that it did. And, you know, when all that was said and done, you know, we came home and, you know, we were there for 40, 40 days and we came home and then we ended up having to go back a few days later for a checkup and she ended up having a seizure, which put us in the hospital for another 11 days. And that was a shock. But when we, when we came home, she started to bounce back. She started to, you know, be in her environment, be around her sisters and her mother and me and the family. And we, you know, we took her and we did everything we could with her to make her happy and healthy and, and get her back to health and back to the kid we knew with the hopes that the stem cell would do what it was supposed to do. Um, it turns out that there was cancer cells present in, in her spinal fluid, which had never been the case. But unfortunately, when we were in for that second 11-day period, they found the cancer cells in her spinal fluid, which essentially meant that the high-dose chemo did not do the job that it was supposed to do. And there was not at that point a ton that we could do except to kind of keep her comfortable and start looking for answers elsewhere, which we did. At that point, I was in contact with Boston Hospital, with Boston Children's, with New York, um, with Sloan Kettering. I was in contact with the Mayo Clinic. We were trying to get answers. Not that we didn't trust what was happening in Milwaukee and Green Bay, but we wanted to make sure that everything we were doing was correct and that what they were doing was correct. We did as much as we could, eventually heard back from these other hospitals mentioning that she's in a state of, she, the point that she was at, the, they would agree with the treatments that she had. And there wasn't anything else that they could do that would make it any different or that would, that would not harm her. And that the trials that she would be introduced into, she would have to travel to these hospitals to be tested to make sure she was healthy and eligible for them. And at the time when that option came up, we knew that she was not healthy enough to travel. And the unfortunate part was that during the last few months of her life, we were kind of in and out of the hospital trying to get uh, breathing and oxygen under control and um, things that were happening. We thought there was pneumonia and 
eventually what happened is I ended up in the hospital with her one night where she was just having a lot of trouble breathing. And every time she would breathe, it was sounded like she had phlegm in her throat, but she could not get anything out. Even with suction, we couldn't get it out and it just sounded horrible. And so they were trying to do breathing treatments, trying to do breathing treatments, and it just was not working. Um, so they ended up airlifting us to Milwaukee, in which case when we got there, we were told that they had exhausted all efforts to treat what was going on and that her body was essentially starting to kind of be in that shut down not not a hundred percent but it was getting to that point that it was getting really hard for her to breathe um, she actually lost her ability to speak and swallow and she just lost that ability to communicate with us and when we left Milwaukee we signed her out of that hospital AMA um, we had to sign one of the hardest documents I think there are to sign on this planet. Um, and my wife and I had to sign a do not resuscitate order for her. Meaning that if she came home and something happened that we would not want extravagant measures taken to resuscitate her because we knew that it would do more damage to her body and leave her in a state where she would not be able to communicate with us or even be with us cognitively if they were able to get her back. So when we were sent home um, and, you know, we were basically told by the hospital, we need to bring you home by ambulance. Uh, we need to be, we need to have abilities to take care if something happens. They told us she was going to code on the way home. That didn't happen. Um, we were sent home, and I believe either I believe it was that evening, if not that evening, the very next morning, we had hospice set up for her. And we knew at that time when hospice came in what that meant. Now, when we had checked into Milwaukee initially. Um, for her stem cells, you know, we were, met, I was met, I was there by myself, you know, Trish was home with the kids. Um, I was met with palliative care, which palliative care is not the same as hospice care. And they were very clear to, uh, you know, let me know that they were not there because there was any type of end of life care that was coming or anything like that. This was really just, they were there to, make sure that she was comfortable at all costs when it came to her treatments and her care, that she was not in any pain and she was able to, you know, withstand the treatments and, and be okay. So when we came home on hospice care, we knew what that meant. Um, we had done what we could do. Um, we had done what we could do months prior to kind of prepare ourselves for what was happening with her body and what was going on with her. Um, she was able to get her room redone. We were able to take a trip, um, just a short trip to get away for a weekend uh, with her, just to you know, have family time together. And you know, we, so prior to this, this 
life flight to Milwaukee, we were we were mentally preparing ourselves, um, obviously hoping that we were going to come up with some other answer. There was going to be something else. But I think at that point, we were mentally preparing ourselves. Um, her ability to communicate, like I said, had gone downhill. Her cognitive abilities were were being impaired by um, the pressure in her brain and the cancer cells. And so we had we had been preparing ourselves the best way we knew how. So when we came home on hospice care, we knew what it meant, but we didn't have any idea how long we had with her. And when we came home on hospice care, she would still get up and walk around. Um, she would help us in her room and put her clothes away. And, um, you know, and it, it's, it slowly got less and less and less and less. And we only had 12 days with her on hospice before she passed. And throughout the hospice treatment, within the first couple of days, we actually had to sign a second DNR because the first one, whatever, you know, technicalities or paperwork. So we had to do it again. And when I tell you that our daughter, neither one of them were happy, but one of our daughters, Miley, was extremely upset with us for signing this paper because it meant that to her that we were giving up on JC and we were we were throwing in the towel and trying to explain to your daughter that her sister would be better off in heaven and not here with us was probably one of the hardest conversations that we ever had to have with her and i think deep in her heart she knew that this was the best thing, but she was angry and it was okay. And, you know, we let her know that it was okay to be angry. Um, this wasn't a decision that we took lightly. It wasn't a decision that we wanted to make, but we knew that as things started to change with Jason, we could see them mentally and physically that if it came time, that her heart stopped, that we did not want paramedics coming in and and working on her and, and hurting her and putting her in a state that would not be a comfortable or fair way to live. So we spent those 12 days just trying to be a family and be close. I spent 90% of my days with her um, actually laying in bed with her while she slept. Um, she would eat, you know, she wanted, she wanted chicken nugget happy meals every day. And my wife would go to the gym and, and get out of the gym and then wait the 30 minutes or whatever it was until they opened, uh, lunch at McDonald's and she would get her a chicken nugget happy meal and bring it home. And that was, that was what brought her, that was what brought her joy. Um, but we, we just tried to be as close to her as possible and, and, and be with her and make sure that she knew that she was never alone. Um, but that last 12 days was, was probably the hardest in the world because we knew what, we knew what that hospice word meant. We knew what, um, 
the state of her, and we knew what the state of her mind and her body, we knew what that meant. But we just tried to stay positive, that she would be with us for a while. We were just, this was just us stopping treatment, you know, She, but we had no idea that we were only going to get 12 days. But we knew that it was a better place for her to be in heaven than it was to be here during those 12 days because to see her to see your child go through this to see her pain to watch her wither away to a shell of herself to watch her not be able to tell you that she loves you to watch her not be able to get up and take care of herself to watch her not be able to play like she had done a year earlier to watch her and tell her everything is going to be okay knowing in your heart that she wasn't going to be around but we knew in our hearts that the best thing we could do was just keep her home and keep her comfortable no more doctors. The best thing about hospice, yes, we had nurses there to help us with administering feeds and her pumps and things like that, but it was up to us. But there were no more doctor visits. There were no more hospitals, no more ambulances, no more helicopters, no more blood draws, no more needles, no more pain. We knew that the best place for her to be was safe at home with us and stopping all of the treatments and not pushing any further than we had to, we knew that was the best thing for her. And there's never gonna be a day that will go by that I think my wife and I won't feel like failures because we could not save her. But in my heart, and I know my wife feels the same way, we made the right choice. And we were as prepared as we could be for what we knew was going to happen. We just weren't prepared for it to happen so fast. But on that last day, she slept most of the day. And I was actually taking a break. And I was outside, and I saw a cardinal. And a cardinal that had, that had come so close to me, I probably could have picked it up. And I have a video of it on my phone. And I thought in the back of my mind, God, I hope, I hope this cardinal, if they mean to you what they mean to us, I hope this cardinal is not here to take her home. And that night, she started having a lot of trouble breathing. And we did everything we could. We got oxygen in her. We're able to calm her down for a couple hours. And she went back to sleep. Um, and at this point, you know, for those 12 days, my wife and I essentially were sleeping with her in the bed or we were sleeping in her bed with her and I was on the floor. Uh, but we were we were with her all the time. 
and um, she woke up again and it was the same thing. It was like she was trying to catch her breath and she just couldn't. And we put the oxygen in her, uh, put her mask on, tried to get her calmed down. And I remember like it was yesterday and I can't get the, I can't get the images out of my head that I looked at my, I looked at her and I said, are you okay? And she shook her head. Yes. And, but I knew in my heart, I looked at my wife and I said, you need to go get the girls because I think this is it. And they came in and they, they held her hand and they talked to her. They told her that they loved her and and not too soon or not too long after that, they, they kind of went back. Um, they went into, into her room and they waited, but not too long after that, she kind of slept in, she slipped into a sleep, which was good because it meant that that breathing wasn't, wasn't happening, which was scary. We took her to her room and we laid her down in her own bed. Um, and you know, I called the nurse and let her know what was happening. And they came within a, you know, within I want to say a little over an hour they were there. Um, but my wife lay, my wife and I laid in bed with her for quite a while, actually, um, as she was having labored breathing and the nurse came in and checked and her heart rate was starting to slow and her respirations were, were getting a lot more um, further apart. And... When I say there's a moment that you say that it's okay to let go, I mean it literally that, like I mentioned before, we knew when the treatments didn't work and we had to, you know, we took her on a trip and she got her new bedroom and things like that. We knew that we were at that point probably preparing and trying to be prepared for what was going to happen. If we couldn't find some miracle answer, we knew what, what was going to happen. And we prepared as best we could. We knew then, but we didn't vocalize it much. Um, but that, at that moment, when she was lying in bed and she's breathing and labored, both my wife and I both told her, it's okay to let go that you have you fought a long hard fight and you've been strong and you've been so amazing and we're gonna miss you but we know you're gonna be safe now you're going to be whole again. Your hair is going to grow back. You're going to be able to run and play. You're going to be able to talk. You're going to be able to sing. You're going to be able to take care of all the babies. And we told her it was okay to let go. And my wife told her it was okay. And to keep chasing rainbows. 
sorry. I told you this was going to be hard to get through. But there comes a time during these treatments that you look at your child in the face in their eyes and you can tell they're tired and you can tell their bodies are worn out and they weren't meant to be put through this but you know and you tell them just how fucking strong they are and how proud you are that you got to be their parents that you are not giving up that you are not throwing in the towel that you are letting them go so that they can be safe and happy again. There will never be a day that goes by that I don't wish that we could have found another way. That we could have found another treatment, another doctor, another miracle cure. But your heart will always tell you what's right. In our heart at that moment, in our heart today, tells us that after watching her fight for 520 days, that she deserved to rest. That she deserved to sleep. And she deserved to live her life pain-free again in heaven. So, this episode, again, is what we went through and what we knew and how we knew and when we knew that it was time. Time to let her go. But it is in no way advice for you and your situations. For my listeners, you will face ups and downs and you will face hard times in a journey of childhood cancer. And your children will be up and they'll be down. But I'm in no way saying for you to ever give up. And like I said, for us to say that it was time to let go was not us giving up. It was it was giving her a chance to sleep, giving her a chance to rest after everything she'd been through. And I don't want anybody to ever give up. But you look in your child's eyes and you tell them how proud you are of them. And you let them fight. And you let them tell you. And they'll let you know. But for us, we knew it was time. 
And every day we miss her terribly. And every day we wish we could have done something different. But at the same time, we know that the choices we made were always for her best. And the choice to say goodbye was so that she could take a break and she could finally, finally smile again. She could finally sing again. And she could finally gain those beautiful, beautiful, colorful, most incredible wings that she deserved and she fought for. I will say this. There is no greater place on this planet that I think that your children should be than right next to you going through life, growing up, uh, having boyfriends or girlfriends, going through high school, getting their driver's license, getting jobs, making stupid mistakes like we did as kids. But going through a fight like this is something that cannot be described emotionally or mentally unless you've lived it. And unfortunately, so many people have or will have to fight and will have to live this. I just hope you know, if you're listening to this, if you have to make these decisions, if you have to say goodbye, just know you didn't give up and neither did they. But they've given it everything they can and they deserve a chance to sleep. So if I have any warriors listening, you keep fighting. You keep kicking cancer's ass. To the parents, you keep doing everything you're doing. And I promise you, your children are going to amaze you with how strong they are. sorry for the emotional episode I'll try to do something a little bit different next week again if it sounds a little bit different I am once again not in my studio um, but I will get back to that next week as my work schedule will be changing so again thank you all so much for listening I hope this episode wasn't too hard to listen to but it's insight into the world that we live every day and one day I hope that this world isn't something that has to be lived in with this type of disease and this type of suffering. To JC, if you're listening, sweetheart, I love you. Everything we do is for you, and I hope we're making you proud. To everybody, I will see you next week. I hope that I will have the episodes back on track being uploaded on Wednesday. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you next time.